Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Katie Barrett. Now, Katie is the general counsel at AB InBev. In fact, she joined Anheuser-Busch back in 2000, I think it was, early days as a litigator. Shout out, another great story of uh, career progression and elevation when you start off your career as as a litigator. So a shout out to all those junior budding litigators. Anyway, we talked to Katie about a whole range of topics. I asked her questions like, what was it that made her stand out for the GC role? The future of legal, we talk a bit about that. We also talk about likes and dislikes among her law firms, importance around collaboration, diversity of thought, and um, and the role that common sense plays. It's a fascinating discussion, and she's a fantastic role model. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy the discussion in the usual fashion. Sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Katie Barrett, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. Thank you so much, Shem. It is a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Now, Katie, I typically launch in with, uh, tell me a little bit about the Katie Barrett story. Take me way back. What even got you interested in law in the first place? And then we'll take it from there. Excellent. You know, a very good question, Jim. You know, I don't think, unlike a lot of people, there was not one defining moment. You know, I grew up, my mother was an educator, you know, my father was in business, always taught us that there's always two sides to every story. You know, I always loved the art of persuasion. And I think I recall way back when my father telling me, like, you always argue with every single point. That's usually a good early sign. Exactly, exactly. So it may have been embedded within, you know, what I do and and how I do it. But, you know, I was very passionate about kind of the English classes. I took a business law class in undergrad and really think I found my calling, which uh, really led me to to go to law school in the future. So no singular defining moment, but I think it was a culmination of a lot of things building over the years. And how did you kick off your legal career? What What were the early years like? What did you do? It was interesting. I did not know what type of law I wanted to do per se. You know, I found a lot of different topics fascinating. You know, one summer in law school, I clerked for a federal judge in Phoenix, Arizona. And then my next summer, I actually worked for a litigation firm. And I think within that firm, I kind of found my calling, you know, just the you know, the excitement of, you know, the courtroom, you know, all of all of that excitement, you know, I knew kind of that's, that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, following my second summer of law school, you know, I got an offer from that firm to go to work. And, you know, that really kind of kicked off my legal career, you know, really with a focus on litigation in my early years. And we love that grounding. It's, it's a common story here. I think probably... Litigation early in the career is the most common theme we come across right through to, and of course, your general counsel now at ABNBEV. Before talking about that role, t- tell us when you joined and why you joined and, and certainly what ABNBEV was looking for when you joined back in 2000. Absolutely. Well, you know, my, my journey here started, it 
kind of was a little circuitous. You know, I was in a litigation firm in Las Vegas, Nevada, of all places, and then moved back to St. Louis, which is where I did my undergrad. And obviously, St. Louis being the home of Budweiser and, you know, the the storied flagship brewery of Anheuser-Busch, you know, always just, uh, you know, kind of the pinnacle of the dream job. So when I, I moved back to St. Louis, I actually went to work for a litigation, kind of a boutique litigation firm in St. Louis. And one of the lawyers, just by happenstance, that I had worked with several years ago when I was clerking in Arizona, had relocated his family to St. Louis. We have a very good uh, deaf education school here. And he had relocated his family and, you know, through, you know, talking to one of his former colleagues, learned I was here. And he called me up out of the blue one day and said, you know, we have an opening in our litigation group. And I always loved working with you. And would you want to come down and interview for the job? So I think at the time I had only been out of law school maybe five years, and it was always like a eight to 10 year, you must have that much experience before you come in-house. And so I recall, you know, coming down and interviewing and phenomenal experience and met with a, new, a number of people, but then got back in my car and thought, oh, I never have another chance of doing that. Like, I haven't been out long enough. And a week later, I got the call and said, we want you to come down. So it was, you know, I, I recall my my now husband and my fiance basically said, Ron, that is the best job ever. He's a lawyer too. He said, that's my dream job. So, you know, and that was 21 years ago. Yep. So fast forward 20 odd years. And when you took on the current role of general counsel, first question I'm going to ask is, tell me about how you landed that role. What, what, what was it you think, let's say during your, and we'll do a bit of a deeper dive in the last 20 years, but what was it that actually got you to land the GC role? What are the kind of the, the attributes that you think stood yourself apart from, let's say, other candidates, Katie, that might have um, otherwise been in the running. I'm interested to hear your views on that. Over the course of my career and job here, you know, I spent roughly 19 years within the U.S. Bureau of Business at at Anheuser-Busch. You know, going from litigation to learning about the business and understanding the business and making connections across the company you know, one of the, the beauties of, of litigation is it touches upon so many facets of the company, you know, whether it is in, you know, our supply chain or whether it's within logistics or whether it's in, you name the area. And so I had the benefit of really just getting to establish a lot of connections and getting a deep understanding of the business. And, you know, I think over the course of time, you know, building relationships you know, when Anheuser-Busch and InBev combined in 2008, I was very fortunate to work on a lot of different components of that uh, back in 2008, and then really kind of opened the doors to really this just wonderful global company. And so my my lens, you know, went from kind of a very U.S.-centric uh, lens to really getting to know colleagues, you know, across the across the globe and very different business, very different cultures. And, you know, I really took it upon, you know, myself to really connect, you know, again, across geographies to get to know people. And so, you know, I think as this position opened up, there are so many amazing lawyers within our our company. And I think just given, you know, some of what the work that I had done over the years for the U.S. company, which is, you know, really uh, presents a lot of legal challenges. And then, you know, really uh, getting to know, you know, a lot of my colleagues globally, I think, you know, was certainly something that that was helpful. 
Tell me about that then, the, the, the kind of the, the networks you end up building within an organisation and the importance of that, because clearly you need, you need really sponsors and supporters out there, especially one as global as ABN Bev. Tell me about the importance of that and whether that was something that you had kind of deliberately worked on as you developed your career or whether that was something you kind of learned along the way and learned its importance along the way. You know, I think probably by my very nature, I don't know if it's something that I inherently developed, but I think, you know, as with any business, developing relationships is key. And you even think about, you know, what we do as a beer business. I mean, it really is about building relationships and connecting people. And so I think that by handling any issue, you know, a legal issue, especially as you work to really you build consensus and you get to know other people's sides and you understand what's important to try to come to a resolution or try to head off a problem. I think it really just comes second nature, Candid. And, you know, depending on the nature of, of, you know, what issue was before you, you really develop some deep and, you know, meaningful connections by working with clients on a variety of levels or by working with management, you know, on a variety of levels. So I think really just kind of having that relationship and it really kind of develops organically versus something you seek out to try to to advance your career. So tell me first, how do you wrap your arms around determining what are going to be my top three priorities when you started in your current role? What, what How did you go about doing that? And what did you land on to the extent that you can share that with us? Really good question. I mean, when I took this position, you know, I was, you know, stepping into the shoes of a, a legal department that was running on all cylinders. So it wasn't as though there was anything that that jumped out that really needed to be fixing. So what, you know, what I did is I really do tackling any problem is instead of kind of jumping in and, and making wholesale changes, really just kind of looking and getting to know the department as a whole. So coming from really a North American-based business to kind of this global remit, I spent probably my first several months um, kind of going across the globe, actually, meeting my colleagues in, in different areas, getting to know them, what was important to what they were working on, what was important to their particular business. And then, you know, in the course of doing that, you know, was thinking about, you know, what's the right resource allocation? I've always, you know, in, in every role I've taken on, been somebody that hasn't really focused on, you know, we do things the same way because we have always done them this way, you know. So I think the first was getting to know the people, understanding kind of the lay of the land, if you will, and then thinking about is is that the right way that we really want to, the right way we want to operate. So that was really kind of the first thing that I did. And then working very, very closely with our corporate affairs group, because so much of legal and corporate affairs is intertwined, really looking at what is the function we're trying to advance, whether it be reputation, whether dealing with regulations, whether dealing with ethical culture in our communities or risk management, kind of really building out that right framework of what was important to us as a global legal and corporate affairs function. And then I think lastly, was really kind of knitting together the various legal departments that we have across the zone. So we were not so siloed, but, you know, if you think about it in theory, you know, we work on a lot of the same issues, perhaps in different maturity stages, depending on what country. So really kind of understanding and then kind of knitting together and developing really kind of a community of experts such that, you know, you can connect somebody in Asia to somebody in Ecuador that may be dealing with an issue. 
And then they learn from each other and they get the benefit of really kind of connecting with their colleagues as well. So, you know, I think those really three things are, you know, what I, I set out to do. Obviously, impact a little bit by COVID, you know, within, you know, the first the first uh, several months. But I don't think those priorities have really changed over time, actually. Now, looking back on your journey within the company, what do you think kind of, if you look back, what are some of the highlights, the things perhaps that set you up well for what you're doing right now and, and any particular kind of turning points or pivotal moments during your career that you that kind of stand out for you that might not have, at the time, you might not have thought they were that important. I'd like to hear a bit about that and see how that's helped, helped or not helped, I suppose. It's a good question along the journey. You know, I think highlights by virtue of, you know, working on either higher profile litigation matters or even crisis management type issues as they arise, you know, really kind of, you know, develop your reactionary skill, your, you know, your challenge to your ability to use your common sense and be objective and to kind of remain a a cool head in the crisis. Pivotal moments, I mean, I think, you know, reflecting on, you know, my years in the company, I mean, there have been several high-profile matters on a, a personal level. You know, I think the pivotal moments have always surrounded times where I've been challenged to really step outside my comfort zone on a particular matter or in a particular area. Yeah, anything worthwhile is never comfortable. No one kind of says, yeah, that was easy, comfortable, and boy, that was really worth doing, or that was really meaningful. Those things don't seem to go hand in hand, do they? No, and if you're, you know, if you learn from those, I think that's really how, you know, you kind of advance yourself and then actually kind of help, you know, help, you know, the company and your career and the like. Yep. And anything you spent too much time, well, spent too much time on that wasn't worth spending that on or anything now on reflection, again, just set your time at ABM Bev that you think you should have doubled down on a bit more, a bit earlier given your position now? You know, I think early in my career, just kind of worrying about what was next. And, you know, it's it's interesting. It's, it's kind of your, it's kind of second nature as, as you think through that. But, you know, I, you learn over time that if you just kind of keep your head down and, and you, you do a good job, things will come, whether it's a new opportunity or, or something that, you know, is perhaps wasn't even on your horizon. So, you know, thinking back, I don't know if I worried about it too much or spent too much time on it, but, you know, I recall early in my career, it's kind of the, the what next, right? What's the, what, what's next along this journey? A common problem with all, all ambitious people thinking about what's next, what do I need to do, uh, spending way too much time in our own heads, actually. So tell me then, I'd like to talk a little bit about the relationship, uh, your relationship with law firms, essentially. What are you looking for? What are you hoping to see more and less of with your law firms and the relationships that you're building with them? Excellent question. You know, I think the law firms that we probably, or personally, I probably have the best relationships are ones that it's not necessarily the law firms, but I think it's really the lawyers within the law firms. You know, over time, you know, we have followed lawyers from law firm to law firm, you know, throughout my career, because you really find you know, you find somebody that is, you know, a true partner, a true collaborator. Um, and, and the same with, with law firms as well. So it really depends on who you work with. But, you know, you look or I, I look for a firm or an attorney 
to really think through problems like we think through problems. You know, I always say that, you know, I want our lawyers to be laying in bed at night thinking about the same things that keep me up at night. So, I mean, that's always, you know, the, the ones that are the true partners, the ones that say we when talking with the problem, not, you know, you, it's really the, the collective we. And, you know, those are ones that, you know, are really just embedded in kind of not only what you're doing, but your goal, you know, kind of looking at the future and, and looking at the long term. And, you know, that's when you find that, you know, within law firms and, and we've been blessed to have many law firms with whom we have that relationship. It's really, you know, something that that's special. And, and over time you get to know, you know, the firms and their families and to see their children grow up. And, and it's really just, a, it's a wonderful thing. True ownership of a problem, a company problem, so that, and you see it in fantastic employees too, as well as fantastic partners out there. Somebody that is owning a problem that you're trying to deal with as their own is rather than kind of necessarily hitting something back over the net to you. That, that, that is, I think that applies in lots of aspects of life. And that makes learning as you're, when you're younger, I think, to really take on problem as your own rather than just looking to, to get something necessarily off your plate. I think that really stands out, whether you're an employee, whether you're working in a law firm for, for, a, for a client, developing that skill early, talking about we rather than I or you. There's some really some important traits. And the I agree. I think the sooner you develop those as an individual, the more you're going to be successful, whether you're in-house or whether you're in a law firm supporting, supporting clients. Anything you'd like to see less of? from your law firms? My husband's a lawyer, so we talk about this all the time. So tell me about that dinner time conversation when you say, boy, I hate it when. Lawyers send very, very long emails. And, you know, it's during some of the early stages in COVID when uh, we were both working from home, you know, I recall, you know, my husband would be pounding away, you know, I'm, I'm you know, reporting on something that happened. I said, do it in like one paragraph. If you can't do it in one paragraph, then it's not worth it. Everybody gets so many emails. You have 100 emails a day. You know, what are the key points? So, you know, maybe two paragraphs if, if you need it. Or, or if somebody asks for it, that's a different story. But not, you know, not for the nature of doing it. I think, you know, and you probably see it too. You get just, you know, hundreds of emails and you need to really kind of um, know what is important. And I think it's a skill too, to be able to kind of hone down really kind of the key pivotal points. Look, it's a skill. And to me, it's a real understanding what's important. And because often length comes from insecurity, afraid that that might be something missed, or you want to make sure you cover your all base. So I think whether it's insecurity or lack of confidence, but that absolutely, that ability to be succinct, you know, the old saying, I'm sorry, I wrote a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. <laughs> but, but it's that, isn't it? It's really being able to get focused because we are absolutely all inundated. And those who can communicate in that way, I agree, absolutely stand out. Absolutely. I always say it takes, you know, twice as long to write slides that are, you know, Half is half is short. I mean, you know, when you have to be very selective in your words and what you say, it takes much longer to to think about every every word matters, basically. 
Any particular challenges that you're anticipating with the future of legal, I suppose? If you see how the goals you're setting for your own legal team, the challenges you're facing, might be facing right now or the last 18 months with the pandemic, the we've seen a whole kind of onslaught of legal tech and technology generally. Any particular challenges that are that you're thinking about in the context of, you know, of running a legal department in the coming, you know, two, three, four years? I think one is ensuring that our department as a whole is open to innovation. You know, as a consumer products company, we spend a lot of time talking about innovation, whether it's our product innovation or, or looking for, you know, what consumers or our customers want or need. And I think as lawyers and kind of consumers as well, we need to be open to innovation and not consistently do things the same way that we always do that. And it takes a a special mindset, I think, to do that and to be adaptable and, you know, open to that. And I think COVID has probably accelerated that quite a bit, you know, whether it's from conducting meetings, you know, by Zoom or doing things by new technologies, because you cannot have those face-to-face interactions. But, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. The kind of digital technology and the digital transformation really is changing the way that lawyers are operating, either from, you know, just the the laws and regulations subsuming all of them and data privacy and and what to do, to even just adaptability and just the day-to-day functioning of the, the legal practice. So I think, you know, all of that combined, you know, really just is making for a really unique moment of time where, I don't know if all the regulations have caught up to all of the technology, and I think there's a lot more to come. But I see that really as being not only the challenge, but also the future, because I think, you know, the digital transformation from a technology standpoint has amazing things to offer. And I think really, you know, harnessed the right way can just, you know, really improve the the legal profession and and even the in-house and and outside law firms, you know, profession in profound ways. Do you think we're ready? Do, do you think that the, the in-house teams, the law firms, from what you've seen so far, are we ready? Is there a mix? Are there the resistors and the, the proponents? Tell me about, you know, if you've, you've identified it as a challenge, what, anything specific that you think is difficult or you've found some resistance in, you know, speaking at a, a, at a broad level? I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I think COVID has really accelerated the ways of working. So it may have been a different answer perhaps two years ago, because I don't know if everybody was ready for it. But now, you know, we've been thrust in this unique moment of time where we must adapt. And, you know, I think in a lot of positive ways, it's really, you know, people have worked together too. I think, to adapt. And so I think there's been a lot of flexibility amongst colleagues, amongst, uh, you know, corporations and, you know, amongst our our outside partners at at law firms to really work together as well. I don't know if we were ready, but it's here. Yeah, the future is kind of here a little bit. (laughs) Let's move on. Talk a little bit about uh, leadership, leading diverse teams in, in the legal department. Can you tell me any particular leadership skills that you think now becoming more and more important in the running of a a large legal department? I think across geographies and and across, you know, different places in the world, I think really, and I don't know if this has changed, but I really think somebody who is is very collaborative 
And, you know, I think that brings with it a lot of different characteristics, you know, whether it's, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of thinking, you know, simplicity. It's, there's, a, there's a lot that really, that really comes into that. But, you know, especially, you know, in varying landscapes and challenges, you know, I think collaboration is something that's very, very nece- necessary. And I think, you know, really a, a common sense approach too. you know, we can, as lawyers tend to, you know, overthink and overanalyze sometimes, but especially, you know, in working together with the business, sometimes, you know, the most common sense, you know, objective approaches are ones that, you know, really move the ball forward. And, you know, as part of that, taking into account, you know, objectives, really learning about the issues and taking into account all sides and then really bringing people together, consensus building. And any particular mentors in your career, Katie, that you've had and any particular mentoring moments that have kind of stood out for you? You know, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of mentors at various stages in my career. And, you know, I I always tell people to look for somebody who you respect or you admire in your your place of work or, or somebody that, you know, you would aspire to be. So I thought that was something fascinating, but I've always kind of made that a point, you know, throughout various stages of my career. So, you know, my my very first job, I remember the managing partner told me two things. One was always get to the office early, which was fascinating. But, you know, then after that, you you always saw the last person walk into the office, right? So that was an interesting perspective. But then he also said, you know, every night I take home with me one thing to read before I go to bed. And, you know, whether he said sometimes there's a lot more, but I always make it a point, even, you know, at nights I will read a document or I will read something just to kind of have that fresh perspective. And so sometimes during the day, I always think about what will it be? I, you know, I thought that was always something, you know, something very fascinating as, you know, I advanced in my career, you know, I found looking for different mentors, you know, I recall having a mentor when I had young children, or I just had a baby talking to somebody about how do you do this? What do I do? How does this work? And, you know, so it kind of, it kind of ebbs and flows throughout, you know, different stages of your career. So I've been very, very fortunate with, um, you know, some amazing leaders and, and really kind of synthesizing all of that advice together. And I think you're right that there are certainly different, obviously different pieces of advice at different parts of your career, because different things are important. And you're balancing and managing different things depending upon, you know, where you are, what stage you are, what stage you're in life. So, and having someone at those different stages, whether the same person or different people, is certainly something which I encourage everyone to do because those little nudges, those guidances, the things that you can't quite see because you haven't been through it yourself or you're just too far into the weeds that they're gold, the little nuggets that you can follow, that, uh, that's absolutely gold. And I think too, it's it's important, you know, throughout your journey of your career that you do the same on the flip side, right? Correct. Give it back. And the more you do that, the better off we all are. But it's funny, it's one thing I think about too. It's not like when you have those moments or you provide that advice, it's not like that uh, you've got a bucket that will run out. Sometimes we feel like if we give too much out there, there's not going to be enough left. But the, the great thing about that mentoring, that it's, a, it's an endless capacity. It's only limited by the number of people you can touch. So that's why I certainly encourage 
you know, encourage others to do, particularly those that are further advanced in, in your career. It's an endless bucket that you've got and it doesn't empty out just because you're, you, you know, you're giving advice to, 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 to one or more, you know, people out there in need. So tell me, what about recruitment? What are you looking for now when recruiting team members? What are the attributes that you want to stand out? Like a, a, a lot of things, you know, I think we look for a lot of diversity of, of thought too. You know, as, you know, a, a truly global company, we always try to hire people that are better than ourselves. And, and you know, there are, are just so many amazing candidates that are out there. And I think, you know, looking for somebody who is passionate, you know, who has, you know, that, that drive and desire, but doesn't necessarily think the same way. That you do, because I think it, it really takes a lot of people to form a really successful and cohesive organization. And, you know, I, I think looking for somebody with those skills and traits is, is key. You know, somebody that, you know, you know, will challenge, you know, you will do, will do the hard work, obviously, but, you know, somebody that is really eager to, eager to learn and very passionate. And it's a tough one. I look for that. I mean, I think that's key, passion. Sometimes it's hard It's hard to see on a CV and it's hard to see sometimes without really working with someone. You kind of look for traits of it in background, what someone's done during an interview process, what kind of lights the sparks in someone's eyes because most things can be learnt but if you're not passionate about what you're doing or passionate about learning, it, it can be hard to certainly to find those that are going to flourish the most and become the best contributors. So I agree entirely with passion. It's just some, sometimes it's hard to find until you're actually working with someone and you know what's really what really lights the fire for them. And too, I think you have to sometimes temper passion with, you know, a, collaborative nature too because somebody can be very very passionate but it's very one way and I think you know having that really fine balance of being able to work within a team is key as well. As part of the obligation we have as employers to get those kind of skills learned as early as possible that it's not the me it's the us and working out how you can really how you can sync your passion to the collaborative efforts of a team because if you don't get that early in the career, that can sometimes be harder as you get more seniors. So kind of programs focused on that, I think, are really important as, as early as you can in your career. I know you're, Katie, you're leading the way and you've had some of your predecessors too leading the way of female leadership at ABN. Bev, and I know you're passionate about that and creating a community of female colleagues. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the initiatives that you're focused on to improve those the careers of females in the organisation and just overall produce the kind of culture that you're looking for within your team and, and beyond. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the topic that I am, as your executive, are very passionate about, we're talking a lot about passion. Within our company, we've had, first of all, an amazing set of, of female leaders, you know, just kind of dating back to even when I, I started at the company. But, you know, I believe it's always important to stay connected and, and stay involved. Right now, you know, we have diversity, a global diversity panel, which I'm on, and it's a bunch of our senior leaders, which is a 
really great show of commitment to the organization, but it really kind of flows all the way down as well. At a lot of our local, you know, kind of our local sites or sites, you know, within the world, we've got, you know, women in beer groups or employee resource groups that provide a lot of those kind of connections and, and touch points. And we've been doing a really, really good job of, of looking at identifying a lot of the moments that matter, you know, especially within a lot of our women colleagues journey between, you know, starting at the company and then perhaps starting a family and then kind of working through and, and really what are those those touch points to ensure that you know, we've got the right support needed, you know, throughout the entire career, which is something that, you know, I for one have benefited from, but, you know, through several of our, our other colleagues as well. One thing, you know, that I'm exceptionally proud of is you know, several years ago, we actually expanded our uh, parental leave program. And it was one that, you know, was generous, you know, from the outset. But, you know, we looked to, you know, as we talk again about moments that matter, I mean, really expanding it. And it was it was pretty cutting edge at the time. It was, you know, a move to 16 weeks for, you know, primary caregiver through birth or adoption or surrogacy. And then also, you know, the, the non-primary caregiver as well also got you know, substantial, which, you know, was not necessarily part of our program as well. And I think that really underscored the commitment of, you know, the company and its leadership to really promoting, you know, at least, you know, from a, a female perspective and, and male as well, just really the the commitment that we have to really making a difference and, and trying to be, you know, inclusive and supporting all of our colleagues, you know, amongst some of the, the journeys in life. But, you know, that was something that, you know, having already had my two children, I was something so happy to be able to have all of our colleagues be able to benefit for that moving forward. And it's really made a significant difference, I think. I often ask Katie about things you spent too much time in the past worrying about that on reflection was not time well spent. Now, you've called out one thing, too much time thinking about what's next and you know, too much time in our heads. Anything else or, you know, if you were to look back and give your 25-year-old self some advice, what would it be? I think that I would talk about not worrying about what's next, but I would also encourage my 25-year-old self to not worry about kind of taking leaps of the unknown. And I think with each of those challenges came amazing learnings and amazing opportunity for that matter too. And I, I always you know, try to tell people as well that, you know, during the course of your journey, don't be afraid to take on the unexpected or to take a path that perhaps you've not charted for yourself or that you never even dreamed of candidly, because sometimes those lead to the most interesting and amazing journeys. And, you know, you really develop skills and relationships along the way that will make you a better practitioner in whatever your your field is. So I would tell myself not to be so nervous about doing that and just... Yeah. And again, that's that, I mean, that's something I have to say, Katie, it's something we hear about a lot. The regret is usually not about doing what they've done. It's usually about op- not being open to opportunities that otherwise were available at the time and having the courage to take those opportunities in areas that you're not comfortable in. And that's what it sounds like that you're talking about, not being worried about trying something which is new or outside of the you know uh, your, your comfort zone. Because as we... You know, they say comfort doesn't come, sorry, growth doesn't come from comfort. It usually, it comes from doing something you're completely uncomfortable with. And I don't know why it's so hard early on in their career 
but I think I think it's exceptional advice. I try to give it all the time, actually, because that's where that's where the, as I said, that's where the growth comes from. Fantastic. Now I sometimes ask, what are the attributes that you're hoping your kids will grow up with? Now your kids are certainly growing up. Any particular attributes that you're that you've worked on and you're hoping your your, your son and daughter will grow up or have grown up with? I think first and foremost, you know, I think. My hope for my children is that they are good people, nice and kind and respectful. And I think above all, you know, that that's uh, most important to treat everybody with respect and, and appreciate and grow to love differences amongst their friends, amongst family, amongst who they meet. You know, we challenge them to be inquisitive and which I think they both are. And you know, short of that, you know, we want them to be happy at what they do and, and how they do it. We want each of our children to find what their passion is, whatever that is. And, you know, once they find that, you know, we're all in with whatever makes them tick. And so it's, it's been exciting and, and a wonderful journey to uh, watch them through that. Yeah, it's a good formula, you know, good people, getting them passionate, finding what they're passionate about and inquisitive you know, rolling those all up together, I think they're fantastic attributes. And Katie, I want to thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute blast speaking to you. I really enjoyed it. It's been great to uh, have a session with you and really enjoyed speaking with you, Jim. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me. Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.